Welcome to episode number five of Metascam. We are a podcast dissecting scams one fraudster at a time. And now, from the excellence in podcast studios, it's time for another episode of Metascam. We break down scammers' approaches, tricks, misdirections, and other tools they use, and we present you with our direct analysis. This is Andy. And this is Peter. Coming up on episode number five of Metascam, we will go into our first part of a multi-part series regarding investment scams. We will cover entrepreneur scams, and we'll also go into a little bit of travel abroad and talk about the different types of scams that might come up as a tourist. If you want to get a hold of us, we've made that pretty easy to do. You just send us an email at hello at metascam.com or you can follow us on Twitter at Metascam Show. And don't forget, we've still got our scam bounty going on. So if you send us your best scams, if they meet our criteria and are the best one out of our selection, you could win yourself a $20 Amazon gift card. All right, so Peter, what type of investment scams are we going to be talking about today? Well, we'll get into pyramid scams. And, and once people hear pyramid scams, right away they think of figures like uh, Ponzi scams, of course, going back to the infamous Charlie's, I'm sorry, Charles Ponzi. But, and there's also more recently Bernie Madoff. Uh, but there's a scammer that goes way back to the early 1800s, which few people have heard of, but he's definitely worth a look uh, because it's quite interesting. Back in the early 1800s, before we had, long before we had the internet and other things where it was easy to, to learn, uh, fact, determine fact from fiction, there was a Scottish man who was an adventurer who traveled a lot. I think he was actually in the military and he decided to convince a number of people that he was awarded a territory in the new world. Uh, basically he was called, it was called the uh, Republic of Pule. Totally fictitious. I mean, the actual geographic area was around uh, Central America, I think near Honduras, but he created this whole fabricated scenario where he was awarded this territory and he was setting up a republic and he was looking for individuals who wanted to be a part of this new world project to include uh, cre creating currency, uh, create, creating uh, opportunities to invest in the, in the land there. He was even bringing a group of them by, by boat from uh, Europe, predominantly individuals from France and from England to go and to uh, go into the new world and, and to take advantage of this fantastic opportunity in, in being able to obtain for very low amount of money, you know, purchase significant plots of land. So that people, people bought into that. And of course it was difficult for them to verify it along the way. They just trusted the messenger, the guy that was offering it. He was a smooth talker, like a lot of uh, scammers will be. And he convinced some people and and others listened to him as well as some of their friends. They, wow, this is a great opportunity, once in a lifetime opportunity. Let's jump on board and go. And then when they got there, they found out, hmm, not much here besides maybe a piece of paper and uh, false dreams sold to us. So these folks actually got on the board, on board a boat and made the transatlantic journey 
and got made landfall and realized they had been gotten, been taken advantage of. That's my understanding. Now, this happened wow. in the early 1800s, before my time, so I was not there to verify it. But uh, you can look his history up. It's quite fascinating. And there's been, and we'll talk about other sorts of individuals over time who uh, amazing things that they promised people and people would buy, you know, buy into it to include like, I think even like purchasing the, uh, the uh, Golden Gate Bridge uh, oh, yeah. and different things like that. I mean, just, this is amazing. You look at that from our perspective now and think, how could someone be so naive to believe that that is something that's a real opportunity? But we say that now and just like people in the future will look back at, us in today's times and think, how could people people be so naive? But it happens. We tend to fall for uh, some of these things when it seems like a fantastic opportunity. I got to act now because the time is limited. The opportunity is going to pass. It's a great return on my investment. And the, and the person who's offering it to me sounds like he's a, a trustworthy person. And we just happen to jump into it before we do our proper due diligence. Yeah, and, and it's set up that way so that we don't have time to do our proper due diligence. And we just, we really have the need, they prey on that. Before we get too far into this awesome subject, we do want, need to take the time, it would be uh, wrong of us not to, and kind of discuss what's going on right now with Hurricane Harvey. Ah, yes. This is very opportune and we got a fortunate, unfortunate occurrence, but every time we have such a national or international natural disaster, especially earthquakes or, or hurricanes, uh, there is a call out for help. And people feel, uh, want to get involved and want to provide, whether it's donating materials, but more frequently uh, donating money to, the, to charity to help poor victims. It, it, it tends to draw in people to do so, but there's also, unfortunately, the downside where scammers will take advantage of that as well. Right. I've already seen one person here in Orlando on the street corner with a, and I'm pretty sure I've seen this guy on the street corner before, uh, just looking for handouts. But this time I saw him with a red cross and a little, it looked like a coffee can. And I just, there's gotta be somebody who saw that and went, Oh, he's collecting for the red cross. I'm going to give this guy a couple bucks because I want to help out the people and uh, who have been traumatized or hurt or, or displaced by hurricane Harvey. It's very easy, actually, for a scammer to use the name and reputation of a very good organization like Red Cross. And there's plenty of other organizations that also collect money uh, for such charities, for such causes. And, but there are people that are going to take advantage of that. And they can easily approach you on the street and carry a, even a made-up credential showing that maybe it looks like they're from the Red Cross. They, call you, they can call you on the telephone. I mean, there's a lot of telephone, uh, what do you call it, marathons to collect money yeah. for certain causes. And how do you know that these individuals who happen just to call you out of the blue are legitimate? They have their scripts. They're very, you know, well-prepared to give you the spiel. And it's at the right time. You know, there is that, like, like Hurricane Harvey, it's just happened. And someone calls you and you say, yeah, I, I was thinking about providing some donation, and now I got the opportunity because somebody is calling me. Or maybe you get an email where it asks you to you know, click on this link and it's gonna take you to a page where you might be able to donate via credit card. And it could be very well that it takes you to a website that looks like a legitimate organization, like the Red Cross or many other organizations, and that could be a cloned page 
of of that organization and nothing to do at all with that organization where you're providing your credit card information you are actually making a payment to to somebody or or an entity that has no affiliation whatsoever with what they purport to be so there's sort of like what do you do what do you do what do you do in that case how do you know how do you approach this well, personally, what I would do is, is if it's especially the Red Cross game, because that seems to me to be the more prevalent one happening, is I won't donate personally if someone comes up and approaches me for that donation. I need to be the person who makes that first step. So I will reach out and I will go to the, I usually would just Google it and Google, Google Red Cross. And usually you usually can trust the link that Google's going to give you. And Google will usually put something in your face when you say Red Cross. They say, if you want to donate, here's the spot to donate. Most social media already has that available to them. If you've logged into Facebook anytime here in the last couple of uh, days, you've been presented with a, a place to donate to the Red Cross via Facebook. Uh, the same with Twitter and a lot of other social media places. They're presenting you these legitimate opportunities to do that. So I'm always going to be the, wanting to make the first step. I will thank somebody for their awareness, thank them for whatever efforts they're putting into it. I'm not going to accuse them of being a scammer just because I think or know that they might be a scammer. So I'm thanking for their efforts, and I'm like, I'm, I'm donating on my own. I've got my own way to do this. I'm not big on the right now gas stations. I've seen a lot of uh, little pins you can buy, and the proceeds go to the Red Cross. It could very well be legit. I just don't trust it because it's in a weird place at a weird time, and so I don't trust that one. I would rather go to a Red Cross location go to a, a church somewhere that I know can donate to the Red Cross or has affiliations with the Red Cross, go to my actual city government location where the Red Cross has their headquarters, make that donation in, in person. I may need to go down there and see if they have those little pins there because I wouldn't mind having a pin. They're cool. But the, first, the, 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 the message there is I'm taking the first step. Now, one of the things I've noticed, and this isn't, hasn't happened to me a number of years, but I had a, a person come up to the door looking for donations uh, when Haiti had their big uh, hurricane hit down there. And this person was smooth as they could be. And then mess up what, what red flag got me. Number one, he showed up my doorstep and I'm not going to in here, but the red flag for me was when the person told me, cause I told him, well, yeah, I'm going to donate, but I'm going to do that, you know, through my organization, through the church, whatever it was. And the red flag was what he told me. And he said, the deal and the promotion we're running right now is that for every dollar I collect, they will match. So your $1 becomes two. And I was like, wow, that's, that's great. Good luck with that. But when you tell somebody you're running a donation promotion, <laughs> it's a little <laughs> bit of a, of a tell there. What advice would you give? My advice is take the first step and make that donation on your own through a trusted source. What would your advice be? I agree with you 100%. There's a lot of different really legitimate organizations who are, which are collecting for such causes, specifically for uh, Hurricane Harvey. And make that first step. Uh, there's been already these organizations telling you how that you can contact them, whether it's a phone number that's been broadcast over, over a major news network or just going to their website. All of those organizations will have a website and all of them will provide instructions on their website about how you can go about and provide those donations. And most of those websites are also going to give you more specifics regarding how they're going to spend that money or what they're going to do with it. And in general, any significant nonprofit organization, especially ones that are providing uh, charity, 
they're reporting back to the government regarding their activities. And there's a couple of different locations where you can go to specifically to research them to find out exactly what percentage of the money they are collecting actually is going out and reaching the ultimate beneficiaries, the victims of, of, of disasters. There's always going to be some percentage that the organization is going to be retaining because they have a lot of logistical expenses. They got to pay their, their infrastructure. They got to pay their personnel costs, the payroll and everything else. So there's going to be a percentage, whether it's 10, 20, 30, 40%. But when you start seeing organizations that are sending less than half than what they're actually collecting, you have to wonder, not necessarily that they're doing anything wrong, or fraudulent, but maybe they're not quite as efficient as other organizations where you, you want to get really the bang for the buck. You want to get you know most of what you're contributing. You want to make sure that it's ultimately going out to the people who really need it. Yeah, that charity may not need that downtown Manhattan office with the view. You know, they may not need to be spending the resources there. Real quick on that same subject, be very wary of anything that you get on a phone, like a text message that tells you you can text in your donation. Most of the time what that's happening is you are going to donate, but you're not donating the Red Cross and you donate whatever money you say you're going to go send them. It's going to deduct it or add it to your phone bill every month. And that's what you don't realize is you're signing up for a service and you're saying, yes, I'm willing to donate X amount of dollars on a monthly basis to this service. And they're going to continue to ding you and ding you and ding you. And they're very hard to get out of. So just go to the source and contribute through a, a regular phone call where you're, you're talking to the Red Cross or through their website or any other reputable direct source that you know. That's a good point, Andy, because uh, you know we used to talk a lot about be careful with those emails you receive, and you still have to, but m more recently, there's been a, a really a surge in those text messages that come out from, it seems like, nowhere. And unless you are getting a text message from some entity that you have already authorized them to send you out a, a, an alert about something, uh, I would not even bother even clicking those on to take a look at what they, they entail because many of them now are, 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 they're just trying to scam you to do something. It is unfortunate, but as you had just previously said, it's been around for at least what going on a couple hundred years now, <laughs> going back to 1800, someone tried to sand uh, or sell plots of land in pole. Mm -hmm. What other kind of pyramid schemes are we aware of? I mean, you've already mentioned Bernie Madoff, and that was more of that. I guess that's one of the bigger Ponzi schemes in recent memory. But could you possibly define uh, for our listeners the basic difference between a Ponzi scheme and a pyramid scheme? Well, if we look at Ponzi schemes, basically the investor, the individual that, that would be putting money into this investment is looking at getting a significant return on that money. You know, let's say that if you on a good day, you're able to get uh, 1% or 2% from the, from the local bank. At that same time, someone offering what could be a Ponzi scheme might be giving you a return of 9 or 10%. Uh, and, and historically, with a lot of these Ponzi schemes, those returns have been even significantly higher. But what, it's any kind of scheme, return that is way, way, way above any other sort of investment, which would be from uh, medium to high risk investment. I mean, we're talking about ridiculous schemes and it looks like it's just 
you know, it, it's natural, you know, uh, I'm gonna make this money and there's, there's very little risk. And I've heard about other people that are, have put money in and now they're taking it out. And yeah, the first ones into a Ponzi scheme are getting those returns because the organize, organizers of the Ponzi scheme wants to show that those investors are getting that type of return because that just puts fire, uh, uh, puts fuel to the fire because everyone else is saying, yeah, we're getting these returns. And those people who are actually getting those returns are probably plowing that money back into the same scheme. So it, it just takes off. It just takes off to the point of, uh, and, and it will continue until it, it all comes crashing down when people start to say, well, no, we better take our money out. And then there's no money really left because there's a run on the fund. And, and, and a lot of that money is already gone because the organizer, of the Ponzi scheme has, has taken that money and, and hidden that money or maybe had lived a very uh, lavish lifestyle on, on this money and, and there actually was nothing to it. They didn't invest in anything. It's just that he had a pool of money and decided to take advantage of it. Right, and that pool of money and those returns that are being provided, that money is actually coming from additional investors. So if you went and you invested, well, let's keep it really simple. You know, let's say you invested $5,000 and you were told you're gonna get a significant return, and then I come in and I invest $5,000. I want that significant return too. A portion of my $5,000 goes to pay you for your quote unquote return. And now you come back and go, wow, you know, I just got an incredible return. I made $6,000 off my $5,000. And really the guy pocketed $4,000 so far. And I go, great. I should see that return too. This is going to be great. Next person comes along. They dip, they invest because I told them, look, Peter got 6,000 bucks off his $5,000 investment. You need to invest in this thing. I'm, wait, I'm waiting for my return. That person invests 5,000. I get $6,000. But it just goes and goes and goes until someone doesn't invest. And now it becomes harder and harder to pay that money out to everybody because all those funds are now gone. And now that starts the collapse. And when my return isn't coming, everybody else starts to get a little fidgety. They start asking for the money back. Maybe I can get two three, 10, 20 people, however many people are in the investment, I can get some of them their inv initial investment back, but there's no way I can give everybody the investment because that money is gone. And that's amazing because, you know, Char Charles Ponzi did this so many years ago, but, you know, uh, Bernie Madoff was much more recently and, and the amount of money is even more staggering. And what's even more interesting is that the sophistication you would think of the individuals who provided Bernie Madoff money. We're talking about, about not your just average Joe off the street. We're talking about people had, who had considerable money, people who were maybe CEOs, CFOs of corporations before. And I mean, currently working or maybe retired had significant amount of money and gave him a significant portion really of their retirement, uh, nest egg. And, you know, we, we're always told, you know, you need to diversify anyway, because even if we're not talking about scams or schemes, just you need to diversify because you should not put any so much money into one sort of investment because you never know whether it's real estate, whether it's the stock market, things go up and down and you, we want to diversify. And here we have individuals who probably should have known better, but really saw the returns, the false returns that this, uh, Ponzi scheme was 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 providing on paper and trusted in Bernie Madoff's personality because typically these scammers, I mean, big part of it, the confidence man is going to be their personality, their ability to, to 
gain your trust. And a lot of these people lost significant amounts of their nest egg, maybe in some cases, even almost all of their, their nest egg. And, and unfortunately, it led to some individuals even taking their life because of, of, this, of this tragedy. There's a very interesting spin on this, and it is the, uh, well, it's been listed a couple of ways. Sometimes they call it the airplane seat scam, and sometimes it's the email list scam or the mail list scam. And what they do is you'll, the mail one in particular, is you get a letter. And in this letter, there are usually five, maybe 10 names and addresses. And the letter, it tells you, look, this is what you need to do. You take the person who's whoever's on the top of this list, you take them off, you shift everybody up one, you copy this letter, and you're going to everybody's address who's now in position one through nine, you're going to send them $20. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to send this letter out to all these people. And then your name is, you know, now the first person's out. They're, they're off the list. They've made their money back. You're going to send out, what, let's see, there's four people. Oh, no, no, what do we say? Uh, there's eight people. You're spending $20 per, per person. So you're, you're spending roughly uh, 160 bucks. You can send that out. But all of those people are then going to send more letters out. And those names will eventually, you'll, you'll climb up to the top. And you're going to quadruple your investment at least. If not, they give you all these staggering figures of how much money you're going to make. It was the same kind of deal with the airplane seat scam. You start off at row 30 and then you progressively, quote unquote, bump yourself up by selling your position to the next person and all the way until you're number one. And then you sell out after selling your reselling your seat 35 times or 30, whatever position you started off at. And the issue with that is you never see another dime. <laughs> you send that money out to those people and whoever your friends, you know, you could even send them to your friends. Those aren't going to go anywhere. You never ever receive, see your return on investment on that. That always, and those collapse very fast. The ones that make headlines, like the, the Bertie Madoff thing, he was just, he was charismatic in what he did. He was trusting. He had people for some reason put a ton of trust in this man. And he was able, I mean, he, he lived a lavish lifestyle. He had a beautiful office space. He, he walked the walk, he talked the talk. But in the end, it was all just a house of cards. I don't know if you've seen the, uh, the HBO special that they did on that with um, Robert De Niro playing uh, Bernie Madoff. I did not, but I understand it was quite, quite oh, well it portrayed. Is very well done. Very well done. If you get the chance to see that, watch that. It is very well done. Uh, it really examines the character that Bernie Madoff is and how he portrayed what he was doing and the disconnect that he had with everybody else. It's very well done. What it's really hard for me sometimes to understand is you have these individuals that are, you know, put these schemes together who are very intelligent. I mean, they know what they're doing and they're able to manipulate everybody to make this, you know, take effect and go for quite a while. But you have to realize eventually the house of cards are going to tumble down, you would think. And then is it really worth it or what are they going to do beyond that? But maybe they just are enjoying the moment. And thinking, well, if it happens someday, it happens, but I'm not going to worry about that right now. I have, uh, in my programming career, worked for two organizations that were fraudulent. And in both situations, it started off with the person not realizing what they were doing was fraudulent, thinking that, okay, we can eventually make this work for real 
but what I need is more capital to make it work for real. So what I need to get is more investors. I need more people to sign up for this, pay me their signup fees. And then what happens now they start to get in this, their capital built up and they're starting to able to actually pay programmers, pay resources, get things moving. And people who have invested early now want some kind of payout. And so they approach the person instead of the person going, just give me a few more months or more time or whatever it is. They appease that person by giving them a payout, which is an artificial payout, unfortunately. And that's where the cycle now begins. They've just issued a payout. Now that person who received that payout brags about, hey, I got, I just made, you know, 6%, 10%. This is a good thing. Everybody should do this. Great publicity, right? Fantastic publicity. Now everybody starts investing in the program. All the wildest dreams just come true. You've just gotten all the capital you ever wanted. Except you never, or not you, but this person, they never put in a, a, a program to actually invest that money to actually produce a real return, especially nowhere near 6 to 10%. And he now feels the pressure to duplicate the quote-unquote success that that first investor had. So by doing so, he has to repeat that process and pay out people. But since it is not really making that much money and they're burning money by paying uh, people's salaries and paying for development and paying for whatever they're paying for, it becomes harder and harder to continue that process. And then your payouts start going slower and slower. And now you get a bunch of negative publicity and now people quit investing because of all the negative publicity. And now the whole thing comes crashing down because you, any kind of budget scheme relies on the next person investing. And if that next person doesn't invest, eventually the Ponzi scheme dies. And we only hear about the really big ones, the Bernie Madoffs and other ones that are of that kind of magnitude, but there's uh, smaller ones going on all the time. All the time. All the time. And, and, and there's you know, a number of reasons why we necess- don't necessarily hear about them. It's got a lot of times the individuals who are victims are also find themselves very embarrassed that how could they get sucked in to this sort of uh, fraud? And they maybe maybe reported to the law, law enforcement, the authorities, but they're not going to really want to tell other members in the community, their friends, family, that this happened to them. So it's kind of like a lot of these things are happening with a very low profile where the general public is not really you know, aware. Now, the, the, one of the schemes that I was involved in, um, once I realized, basically I was working on the front end of the website, the front end code of it, so what people were actually seeing, how they could invest. And everything was going great and I got moved to the back end. So now I saw how the money was actually moving around. And on my first day, when I saw how the money was actually being moved around and distributed around and divided up and how many people were actually getting immediate cuts, I grabbed that piece of code, that chunk of code, and I started plugging numbers into it on my own server. And I'm like, there's no way. This thing, there's no investment here. There was no investment anywhere in the code. And I'm like, they're not taking this money and investing. There's no, there's no money coming in except from in- investors. And there's money going out to investors, but there's no other money coming into that account. So it was very obvious within a day or two that it was a Ponzi scheme. And my first action was I contacted the SEC, uh, Security Exchange Commission, not the, not the football people. <laughs> and they opened up investigation, but I also at the same time contacted our local investigative reporter for the news channels here. They were very interested in this because this gentleman had apparently run some other very uh, schemes that were close to this and had made their radar ahead of time. 
they wanted me to go on camera. And in Orlando, we're a very small uh, technical community. And I felt at that time, if I go on camera with this, I'm never going to work in this town again because I'm now showing how much a fool I was because I didn't see this from the outside. And it took me until I saw the back end code to realize that this was a Ponzi scheme. So I never took that step out of fear for myself, never, you know, rep, uh, damaging my reputation, basically. Now, what happened eventually with this one is the, uh, the SEC did file blue sky charges against him, which basically he was, you can't claim the returns he was claiming. And he went away for a very little bit amount of time. And it's, it's sad that, as we talked about pre-show here, it's sad that the repercussions aren't stronger for the smaller schemes that happen. Because people, it doesn't matter. We look at Madoff, it was a huge amount of money that he took, ruined a huge amount of lives, and yes, he's gone, uh, he went away for a long time. But if you look at somebody who took $1,000, $2,000, $5,000 from somebody, and you think, well, that's not a lot of money. It might have been to that person. So if you look at what they have versus what they invested, and as opposed to the total of money that they invested, that percentage of what they invested could be the same. So my 90% of my savings could be $5,000 versus somebody else's 90% of savings could be in the millions. It's still that 90%. So the scale doesn't work for the penalties that they get. Absolutely. That's unfortunate that there's not enough of a, a disincentive um, that that's posed for individuals who are looking at potentially conducting fraudulent activities because in their eyes, it's, it's worth the risk. Even if they get caught, they still have to be prosecuted. And if they're prosecuted, they go away for a very short period of time where you find a lot of them and they get out, they're back to their same old uh, business again and they're probably a little bit more savvy because they've had time <laughs> they've had time to think about this they've had been able to exchange uh, ideas techniques with fellow inmates and so yeah granted there are some that come back and and, and reform and, and try to uh, step out on the, on the right foot but but unfortunately a lot of these guys you see back doing the same old same old thing again just because there's just not that sort of a disincentive. I mean, there's, there's, there's plenty of opportunities and a lot of them ultimately don't even get caught. Even if they, they feel, and a lot of these guys are pretty savvy that the time is limited. It, the house of cards is falling down or law enforcement might be catching up with them. They close down, reopen somewhere else, different name, but it's a very similar game. And so they keep on re reinventing themselves. Now, a little aside from that is a pyramid scheme, which is a little bit different than a Ponzi scheme. And sadly, that was the other company that I worked for was that we actually provided the back end for multi-level marketing companies. Not all multi-level marketing companies are pyramid schemes. Some people do really well in, uh, in MLMs and some people avoid them like the plagues. That is a personal decision that you need to do all the research into it and you know, make your own call there. However, the red flag question you ask yourself anytime you're looking at any type of what could be a multi-level marketing uh, company, the, the one question you ask is, if there are two of you in a room and you are both in that company, can you still sell your product to the other person? If the answer is no, you are in a pyramid scheme. A big one going around right now is auto insurance 
or big, just a huge insurance one, but usually it's auto insurance is what they start with. And then they tell you they can insure anything under the sun and they're going to make you an insurance agent. You're like, Oh great. Yeah. And they have their own classes, their own training. They're going to give you free training, everything you need. They're going to set you on your way and you're going to make a ton of money. You know, oh, this is fantastic. And they do have insurance policies that you can sell. But did you know that if you get five people to sell under you, you make a percentage of everything that they sell. And if those five people get five people under them to sell, you also get a percentage of what those people sell. So what's more important to you? Are you going to sell me that insurance policy? Or are you going to try to sign me up as another insurance agent? The latter. Sign you up as another insurance agent. You're going to sign me up. Now, I'm in. You're in. We're both in. We're in here. We're now sitting in this room. Do you have insurance? Yes, you do. Okay, I can't sell you insurance. Uh, How about a motorcycle? Do you have a motorcycle? You don't have a motorcycle. I can't sell you motorcycle insurance. You're already in the program, so I can't sell you on that. There's nothing for me to do. I can't sell you anything. Pyramid scheme. And that one is, I have been approached probably in the last three months, probably 20 times with that particular scheme. I haven't been approached approached directly, but I have received a lot of emails, like at least one or two a a week that are enticing me to to enter into something like that without going into the full details. They want to contact me for, they said I had the great profile, great experience, and I would be a fantastic insurance agent, X, (laughs) Y, Z. And I, I mean, fortunately I got other things that occupy my time that I find more interesting, but it could be some of those are sort of like trying to lure me into, into those types of uh, schemes as well. Yeah, those are huge. So just that's that question. Always ask yourself if there's two people in the room, can you sell to the other person? They can be in the program. Back in the day when I was working for uh, the company in Alabama, the particular product that they were selling was a virtual mall. And that's what they were trying to get around was the rule of can you sell to the other person? Well, sure, that person needs to buy groceries. So you can buy my through my store and I can buy through your store. And the SEC didn't agree with them on that one <laughs> at all. Because there was more, when they looked at the black and white at the, at the printouts, at the data, it was a staggering amount of malls or opportunities being sold versus people actually doing any shopping. What really killed them was an internal email that went to all the quote unquote mall owners that told them they had to buy things through their own mall every month <laughs> to show that there was actually people buying things through their mall. And if they weren't, then yeah, so that, that kind of damns them. So Andy, what attracts you to all these companies that are fraud, have fraudulent activities and you end up working with them? I don't know. Um, actually, I do know. It's, it's, it's the money because they pay very well. And um, it's not all. I mean, I have a vast amount of experience in the 25 plus years I've been doing this. It's only been a handful of fraudulent companies. Most of them have been very legitimate, you know, over on top of the board, wherever it is, uh, companies. It's just those, a handful of ones that, unfortunately were, were, were horrible. Now the very first one that had that particular mall, it's multi-level marketing back end in and of itself, there was nothing illegal about it. Unfortunately, the customers that they sold to who used that product, they were ultimately making the decisions to be a pyramid scheme versus a multi-level marketing company. If they had just done things correctly, no problem. And there were several that went through there that were actually very good and did very, had a lot of success. Um, others, not so much. 
pretty much deceptive deceptive practices really without full disclosures very deceptive especially the second one i had mentioned and actually started at that company a friend of mine recommended it to me and she was working there and so i went based on her recommendation and she still feels horrible about that to this day once again with these types of uh, companies they say you're not working for them but maybe you're looking at a possibility of buying their product or service Going ahead and doing a little bit of uh, verification. Uh, a lot of times, if the company's been around for a little while and there are people who felt that they were scammed by them, they're going to put some complaint typically on, uh, online where if you do a search on the internet looking for the name of that company or product and complaints or scams in, the, in, that, in that search category, if there is something uh, it will probably show up there and that could be a first red flag. Mm, maybe this is not the best idea. Let me, even though one person was complaining, doesn't mean that it's bad, right? But it's an indication that maybe you need to take a look at this a little bit more clo- closely than just, just believing what the sales agent is, is telling you, right? Now for me on the second company, in my interview, the gentleman did tell me, he goes, look, I messed up in the past. If you Google me, that's there. Yes. Those here's what happened, and I, I paid my penance. I paid my, my whatever I did. We're not doing that now. This is all legit, and I bought into that. I and when I did Google what he had mentioned, that did come up, and I'm like, oh, he's telling me the truth. If I had taken the next step and actually Googled the name of the company that he had then set up, yeah, it would have been very apparent to me because there was tons of stuff, and they were running. Uh, interference with those left and right. Anytime someone would, would would submit something on ripoff report, these people were counteracting it and and calling out persons, people's characters, and just destroying stuff on there. But just you know, this it kind of starts with with that old adage of it's if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. So take those anything you hear like that, just take it with a grain of salt. And like we always say, on now we verify and we trust. So we don't trust first anymore. We verify. And then that allows someone to gain our trust or we tr- or our trust in them. Hey, folks, if you want to help us out here at Metascam, it's pretty easy to do. Just head over to metascam.com forward slash Amazon. That'll take you right over to Amazon's website. You'll just purchase what you normally purchase there. And we get a little percentage of every dollar spent. And that goes a long way here for us in the studio. Help us do studio upgrades and continue to provide the content that we provide to you guys on a weekly basis. And it costs you nothing whatsoever. You're already doing that shopping. Again, that URL is metascam.com forward slash Amazon. Peter, there are a ton of entrepreneurs out there and a ton of great opportunities for entrepreneurs to get involved in small to medium and even large size businesses where they can actually work and see a profit and make some money. But at the same time, that entrepreneurial mindset tends to attract people running scams and schemes. What are some what are some examples you have of entrepreneur scams that are out there? Well, you know, anybody who is a true entrepreneur or has tried to set up a business realizes that nothing is easy. It is a difficult process. It may take quite a while to actually turn a profit. And there's a high percentage of people that try to set up their own business that ultimately fail. There's not that the percentage of companies that actually entrepreneurs that start a business and succeed is is relatively small. So when you see in a newspaper, 
typically in the classifieds or in the back of magazines, $10,000 a month working from home. That's something you got to be a little bit leery of. Yeah. Are there, are there projects that you can do from home, get paid to conduct activities and, and make money? Yes, there are. But uh, there are so many of them that are set up in such a way that they will give you dollar signs in your eyes thinking that, okay, I can be at home. I can manage my own time. It's flexible. And I'm going to make a certain amount of money uh, per month based on my, my level of effort. It could be stuffing envelopes. It could be uh, making telephone calls. It could be a lot of other sort of mundane activities that you think, well, I don't really don't have to have any specialized skill. I'm just undertake these, these activities at home and, and I can uh, be able to make a lot of money. And so what they do it typically in the setup is that they require you to make an, a small fee. You have to pay for materials that they're going to send out to you. And so you think you're thinking, well, it's yeah. Okay. This is a little, this is a little bit of money, but I'm going to pay this. I'm going to get the materials and then I'm going to be making a lot of money afterwards. And what they will send to you, of course, would be some supplies and materials, a training materials for you to read uh, to help make you successful. They got that cash in their pocket. And many times you find is, yeah, it's a lot of false hope that's been sold to you. And they moved on to the next sucker that's, that's bought into this. And really very few people can, 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 uh, can break even if even turn a profit by, by getting involved in these activities. So, uh, there's a lot of different things I mentioned, envelope, envelope stuffing, coupons, um, medical billing, uh, getting involved with buying overstocked or dis, discontinued items and being able to resell them, uh, writing reports for people. Uh, there's even those uh, the infamous two, two cent postage stamps that uh, I don't think there's been anything with that lately, but that, that used to be very, very common. Uh, assembly, sending you out different uh, types of products that need to be uh, assembled you know, crafts put together and then you do that and you're able to ship them back and, and make a lot of money. Uh, but usually that shipping is only a one way thing. You either ship to you after you paid a fee and, uh, you're not getting anything really, really in return. So there's a lot of different variations of these things and they'll continuously to come up with new ideas about these great opportunities. You probably see, if you get up early in the morning, can't sleep, you turn on some of these programs, which is paid advertising, you will find especially this real, you know, how to make so much money in, in real estate and turning houses and all these things. And it's just like, and, and then you got these testimonies from people that have done it and they're all dressed so well and they talk about, you know, how the, when they got into it, they weren't really happy with their career. They weren't really doing very well economically and after doing this for a couple months, now they're making a tremendous amount of money and then they show they show you uh, sort of like they've been able to take these luxurious vacations, they, they've uh, purchased a nicer house, they got, they're got they driving a Mercedes Benz and it all looks so great and basically all you have to do is send in that money to purchase that program where they'll teach you how you too can be a very successful at that particular business. So those type of things are going on all along time does not mean that some of the things the information that they provide you is not accurate or useful but in general the program is so hyped up that it leaves you with that really false sense of yeah this is going to be extremely lucrative for me and all i got to do is send in this money and i'm going to get all the secrets uh that, that are going to make me successful so just think about it if they're putting on this ad on tv let's say how many thousands upon thousands 
of people every day, maybe watching that program or all of a sudden making that telephone call, giving their credit card number, paying that $59 or that $109, whatever the case be. And that is a tremendous amount of revenue that the, that a, that a scammer can get. And it's well worth, it's well worth his time to put that kind of program together. And, and once it runs its course, they will move on to something else, but sort of the same circular sort of, uh, uh, entrepreneur, offerings that are out there. And a lot of us, I mean, a lot of us would like to, to have our own business. There's a certain amount of pride in being able to, to have our own business, feeling successful, having that flexibility, uh, hoping that we can make more money. So it's, it's something that really, really attracts a lot of people, that, that sort of concept. That's why it's so, it's so successful from the standpoint of marketing that type of opportunity out there because it, it, they're meeting all the different types of motivations that a lot of people would cling to. You know, you mentioned the, uh, the assembly one. That is one of my favorite ones that I keep seeing pop up. And the reason I like this, the, the, the assembly scam, is the individual who's running the scam has purchased, we'll say, a crate of these little widgets. And they've probably spent, let's say there's 100 widgets, and they spent 10 cents on each one. And now they're going to divvy those up, and they're gonna, you need to pay postage for these, by the way. They'll, ship, they'll get them shipped in from China. They've paid about 10 cents each, each for each one of these, and they're, they're going to send out 10 to each person. By the way, postage you need to pay and shipping and handling. So that's going to be about $20. So you're going to pay that for the shipping and handling, and it's going to go to you. You're actually going to pay that back to me, and I need to charge you a stocking fee for that. So that's another 20 bucks. And as soon as they sell which they're going to sell these things, they sell for $15 a piece. And as soon as they sell, you're going to get 80% of that. As soon as they sell. They never sell. They never sell on the fact that you mentioned, you know, this postage and handling fee. That's what I find so interesting that usually the postage and handling fee is actually more expensive than the, the product. You know, how can you get these companies, they, you, you know, you're receiving now on a daily, weekly basis products being sent to you that you're not even required to pay postage or handling anymore. You know, if you get the product from Amazon or it some other shows up. Yeah, it shows up and and there's there's usually an option if you can wait an extra day, there's absolutely no postage or handling to pay. Versus these where you man, you're paying a tremendous amount of what's cut disguised as postage and handling, which is just just rec- extra revenue for the the company that's um, managing these scams. Yeah, so they bought they bought uh, 100 of these things for what is it? 10 cents, so 10 bucks. And they're getting $20 every time I send out a portion of a tenth of them. So I'm na- now making 20 times 10 of those. I'm making, what, it's like a 3,000%. I did, I'm horrible at math. Huge return. And the key is there is you're, the person doesn't get paid until they sell. That's the thing you have to look at on that particular wall. You're not going to get paid. And they're not going to sell. It, it's, it's, it's junk to begin with. If they're really smart, what you're assembling is plastic, and when they get it back, they just melt it down and send it back to China to get assembled again, you know, stamped back out. <laughs> so, it's just not exactly the same, but it kind of like just popped in my mind right now because I had a conversation with my daughter the other day, and my daughter, she likes to buy a lot of really nice looking jewelry and accessories that come out of China, and and she gets them like for next to nothing. Mm-hmm. It's so inexpensive, and the stuff looks halfway decent looks halfway decent. There are other, she has another friend who was uh, actually found a product, uh, a company approached her and said, listen, this is this really expensive uh, accessory or jewelry and we're going to give it to you 
at this discount, maybe, you know, like 50% or 60% discount, you buy it. And we, the reason why we're offering you this discount is that we want you to wear it and other people will see it and it helps with our marketing. So she went ahead and bought these items. And then when she showed my daughter, my daughter's pulled out the same exact oh, thing no. and said, wow, you way overpaid for this. The actual price that I was able to buy this from directly from you know, the manufacturer or the, or uh, sellers in, in, in China was a fraction of what she had purchased, believing that she was getting it at a discount. Mm. So, I mean, it's just amazing how they're able to, uh, <laughs> how they're able to manipulate the, what in the buyer's mind, what something is worth, what is the actual value of something. You brought up a great point and that is in real estate. Uh, you'd mentioned that the whole real estate, you know, learn how to buy properties, learn how to flip properties, all this other kind of thing. I was helping produce a video for a real estate company here in Orlando. And it was a training video for them. And what they did is they were going over how to borrow money from the bank, how to then capitalize it, how to not, so it's none of your own money until everything's paid. Then you get a profit, the bank gets their money back. They're showing people basically how to flip houses. And in the end of this particular two day seminar, they then take a bus ride around town and show particular properties off to the entire class. They walk them through the properties and kind of go, this is a good buy. This isn't a good buy. This is why I would buy this house. If I was in the flipping market, I would definitely buy this house. In fact, I'm probably going to go call the realtor as soon as we're out of here because this one is an easy flip. After about the third or fourth house that we went to, one of the things that jumped out of my mind is every single realtor was different that we were going to visit. Like the yard sign, the name and the yard sign were always different, but the yard signs were all the same. It's like, why, and what is the chance of everybody having the same make and model of physical yard sign, but the front of them being the logos and everything else being different the numbers and pictures and names. So while I'm on the bus, I start looking on sunbiz.org for the registration of all these companies. Lo and behold, they're all DBAs of the same people putting on the class. And that just seemed kind of shoddy to me. <laughs> and I told the production crew that I was with what was going on. They're just like, just let's just get the video, get the video done. And uh, we'll, just, we'll, we'll just go below radar on this one. In and of itself, I didn't feel that was a, um, a deception that was unneeded. If they had just told the people in the class, these are investment properties that we have. And this is what the market and the comps are in this area because the market was good. The comps were good. If they had just told the, the people straightforward, hey, these are our investment properties. We'll show you the investment properties. If you want to buy them, here we are. That would because they'd already gained the, the class's trust, two days of trust building. And then to pull a deception at the end like that was, was what I didn't like. Mm -hmm. If they just told the class, hey, yeah, these are our properties. If they're good investments, look at the comps, look at the numbers, you'll make a profit. And this is how long we've had these particular properties. It would have been great. Um, unfortunately, they pulled, this person has still approached me several times. And I'm like, no, I have want nothing more to do with you and your, your little crazy business. Um, but yeah, it goes back to why did those people find me? <laughs> uh, that was a fun project to work on though. You're on the list. Must be. You ever invented something or been approached to invent something? 
I personally haven't, but I always thought that that would be the greatest thing to be able to invent something that would be useful and actually get satisfaction that people are using that product and also, of course, make a fortune in the process. But you do see, I mean, I know a number of inventors in the process of actually, you know, inventing something and, and getting it out and, and making making money on it, it's uh, also not the easiest thing. And there's people that have made, made a lot of money, but I see a lot of advertisements in, on over the TV and in newsprint that offer those opportunities if, you, if you're an inventor and becoming rich and that the companies will help you actually uh, register and market your product and you're gonna be, uh, you're gonna be a multimillionaire. Yeah, all you have to do is what? Just give them your idea? Is that about it? Is that what it amounts to? And how much of that, of percentage of that company do they get to take? And even if it's not a real good idea, maybe you think it's a great idea, but they'll take your money and tell you it's a great idea while they continue to make, to have you pay fees. So they find out that you have, you have no money left to pay in fees. And then they'll tell you, well, we tried our best. We but tried our best. Yeah. Fortunately, it's not going anywhere. Yeah, this, this is a fantastic idea. We're gonna make a lot of money with this. You just need to pay uh, this additional fee to get it registered. We need to do some uh, background checks, some history checking on this to make sure that no other patents there's no prior art. Uh, that in and of itself is about a $3,000 fee. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, we need to make sure that no other states have that copyright on this particular thing. That's going to be another $3,000. You got about $6,000 there? Great. I'll take that. Uh, we're going to need some, logoling, some logos and some branding. Logoling, that's a new word. Uh, we have to do all the marketing for this. That's about another five grand. You don't have another five grand? I uh, guess we're at the end of our journey here then. You have 30 days. Uh, then this program is going to be canceled. But there are individuals, companies that will specialize in helping you get your, if you have invention, get it in a registered, uh, et cetera. And, you know, they will charge you fees to do that, but you can check and you'll see that they have a long and established credible record. Probably one of the best things to do if you are in a situation where you think you have a great product or idea is contact somebody who has done this before and gone through all the steps and they can give you uh, some good advice about uh, what steps you would you should take what steps might be missteps and and give you from some of their own practical experience but taking taking uh, the advice of someone who's out there trying to say we can help you we can help you uh for a fee probably isn't the best way to approach approach this all right so what are some avenues that people can actually protect themselves and what can they do? There's a lot of opportunities out there. We're constantly bombarded with legitimate and unfortunately um, non-legitimate things, scams that are out there. But at the same time, we may come across something that is, that is good, is an actual can help us, but I may not know what to do. Well, I, my advice would be the following. If you want to take your chances and just blindly put something in as an investment, just be, you know, consider it. Well, if I were to lose this, accept it as no big deal. I don't care. I'm going to put it in there and hopefully I make money, but if I lose it, I really don't care. If you care about money that you invest and really you're willing to take some risk, but you really want to be careful because you want to make sure you're making the best investment with this money. And, and there are a lot of other, there are a lot of other options out there as far as what you might invest in uh, before blindly putting money into something that you want hopefully to get a good return on there are, you need to do your proper due diligence 
right? Where, and there's a lot of different avenues to do that due diligence. You can do surface due diligence by just, uh, when I say surface, I mean precursory where you don't necessarily have to spend a lot of money on it. It can be just asking for, one of the first things would be looking for references on the individual or the company that's offering that investment. A lot of people will say they'll look at the references that that company will put online or provide you. But, but once again, those can easily be manipulated. Those can easily be fabricated. Granted, it's interesting to take a look at those, but I definitely would not count exclusively on the references that the the offerer of some investment is giving you. Try to look out for outside references, people that have actually had an experience with that individual or company who can provide you with both the pros and cons, what they like, what they dislike. So you, we can also do that online. There are, there are independent uh, references or uh, comments that are, that are posted all the time about companies, products, and services. So you definitely want to look at that as an avenue. Uh, other types of Google checks. If we're looking at particular investments that are offered through investment uh, brokers, there are there are certain licenses that that they must have, and just going to a to FinCEN, for example, and looking at what's the, is this person licensed? Have, do they have any sort of administrative uh, uh, what we call um, findings against them or penalties in the past? I mean, how how transparent have there been any issues with that individual to see is that person reputable or not? So we can you can check with, through the authorities about their licensing about and about their their record. Uh, almost a, there's a lot of other. Uh, types of licenses, uh, depending on who you're dealing with, that if that individual should have a license, you can easily check to verify whether or not that license is act. Don't go by them saying that they have a license. Don't go by them saying, oh, this is my license number. Go and verify that because there are a lot of times across the board for a lot of different type of opportunities, uh, or even if you're, con you know, this is a little bit off base here, but if you're contracting somebody to do some construction at your house, they might say they're licensed, get the license number, verify that because don't, don't just take their word. Uh, you can look at the Better Business Bureau many times. Uh, not every company is registered with the business Better, Better Business Bureau and they don't have to be, but Many times, uh, checking in the Better Business Bureau, you will get a reference regarding that company, whether or not they're registered and whether or not there's any complaints against them. And if there have been complaints, have those complaints been can be resolved or it, it looks like this company, whoa, there is a there is a big black mark here and maybe I shouldn't, I should, that should dissuade me enough from, from going forward with them. Uh, beyond that, I mean, it's, it, a lot of it's gonna depend upon the size of the investment. If you're looking at a really significant investment, uh, you probably should hire a professional to actually do some due diligence for you and uh, my company, as well as many other companies, uh, we'll, we'll conduct that kind of due diligence. We do it all the time for, for our clients, whether we're dealing with corporations or even uh, high net worth individuals who are, uh, you know, they got approached by somebody who has what looks to be a very attractive investment. They feel pretty good about it or they feel there's something just not quite right. And for that reason, they want to go forward one hand says they want to go forward because it looks like this is a great time, you know, opportunity of, of a lifetime. But the other side of them is saying, I just don't feel quite you know, assured about this. So we'll hire you to conduct that sort of due diligence on, on that offering, whether it's the company that's offering it and or the individuals. And we'll dig really deep and we'll come back with information that will help them better make a decision regarding whether or not they're going to go forward with the investment. And, and to be honest with you, 
probably seven times out of 10 with the information that we come back, those clients of ours decide not to go forward with that investment because many times the information that we dig up, unfortunately for the ones offering the opportunity happens to be quite derogatory. So if you need that type of service, if you're interested in that type of service, please feel, feel, uh, uh, welcome to give us a call. Strategic Risk Management, 407-475-0154. Your consultation is, is completely, you know, no obligation whatsoever. If you just want to get some advice or see what we, what we might be able to offer to you, we'd be happy to do it. And one of the things I want to point out there is not just for investments. If you are in a situation where you have been given a fantastic job offer, you can call Strategic Risk Management and they can look into that particular company and let you know if, if it's actually legit or not. They'll do the background checks. Because here's the thing, a lot of companies that set themselves up, they put their best face forward. Their about page is going to scream how great of a company they are. Their employees may not have the ability to go to Glassdoor or any other kind of public forum to voice their uh, grievances. But there is going to be something on a company if that company is not a legitimate company. There's going to be something out there in some of the filings and some of the locations that Peter was just talking about. SRM is going to find it. Yeah, there's another angle to this as well. Maybe you have been taken for a ride, been scammed, or feel like really been been cheated, and you're thinking about potentially taking some kind of legal recourse against those individuals and you say, well, all I have is basically what happened to me. Is there anything else out there? Is there any other dirt out there on these individuals where, where uh, I may take them to court and, or maybe I, I disclose to them that I, I got all this information and maybe we can work out some kind of settlement without taking legal action. But information is going to put you in a better position. Information is power. It's going to make you give you a better footing when it comes to thinking about taking any legal action against as another party. And so if that is of interest to you, we can also help in trying to dig up some information that could be useful. The contact information again for strategic risk management, you'll be talking to Peter here at 407-475-0154. The tourist scam we're going to be talking about in here, we're going to wrap the show up with this one, Peter. Uh, This one I've seen so many times and it's one of those that I just cannot believe people still fall for. Uh, it is very common overseas in Europe. Uh, I, I saw it on a show the other day. I was, I believe I was watching A&E, and this was t- uh, about this game happening back in the 80s. And it's still happening, Peter. It's still happening. And actually, though, when the I, – I, this was about 12 years ago when I traveled to Hungary, the first time there, I was traveling to Budapest. And before I go, I typically will do a little bit of research in the different con- you know, countries I go into regarding customs and history and maybe good places to go as far as sightseeing. And this particular time I purchased a Lonely Planet travel guide and I was reading about, about uh, Budapest and it just happened to mention there this scam where be careful that if you walk along this particular street, I can't remember exactly now the street name, but it was like a central pedestrian walkway through the heart of downtown uh, Budapest, that there's this tendency for, there are these people out there, typically it's a female, that will stop you and gain your attention. You know, like maybe there's a mistaken identity, whatever, they stop you, and then engage you in a conversation and invite you 
or suggest, hey, you got some time? Let's go to uh, this cafe that's right over here and we have a chance to talk a, you know, a little bit more and, pra- and practice my English or whatever. And, and so the individual may fall for that, go with this attractive person to thinking, well, what, you know, what do I have to lose? Is this is no, I don't have to worry about getting into any kind of trouble or anything. It's just, we're out in a public venue or having a couple of coffees and talking. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pleasant thing, right? And then when you finally ask for the bill, the bill comes and you see probably what is 10 times the amount of money you would anticipate paying for, for two, three, four beverages. And when you happen to complain saying, this can't be true, they will bring you out the price list, which you didn't ask for at the beginning. You didn't ask for the price. I mean, what are you going to think about? Well, I want to see how much the, you're, you're with this attractive woman. You're thinking, am I going to ask, well, what's the price of this coffee? No, I mean, you just assume coffee's a coffee, right? And then you get this outrageous bill and you have no recourse because there's the priceless, officially posted priceless. And if you try to complain, they're going to say, you got to pay this or else. And many times, you know, they're going to, they might have a bouncer there. And, or maybe even if there's a uh, law enforcement there on the corner, that guy's getting also a percentage of the take. So I thought that was kind of interesting, right? So I thought, eh, that's never happened to me, right? And that's what happened on this trip. I was, this is my third day in Budapest, I've been finished pretty much the business I had to take care of. I was having a leisurely stroll. I was in my my business suit, leisurely stroll down the street. And sure enough, there's this girl that is pointing in my direction and like, like, like waving at me. And I'm thinking, oh, not me. It must be somebody behind me. I turned around. Who is she waving at? Turn around and she's pointing. Hey. And she said, didn't I see you last night with your friend at the club? And I'm thinking, oh, I said, no, I think you, you've mistaken me for somebody else. He says, oh, what? you're an American. I said, yeah. Oh, you know, I love Americans and I really want to travel there. And it, it's, it's so nice. Where are you from? And just kind of this, you know, gauge me in a conversation. And sure enough, she said, hey, I know there's really nice cafe over here. I would love, you know, if you have a few minutes, we can chat a bit. And and, uh, and I said, oh, right away, that scam that was printed in the Lonely Planet I said, this is exactly the one that they were talking about. And uh, it was amazing. I, I politely disengaged and move on, but I'm sure on a daily basis, there are a many people that do fall for this in, uh, on, on this particular street in, in Budapest, you know, the predominantly the, the foreigners who come and, and they really have very little recourse. They end up, they end up paying, you know, a lot of money, but this is also different variations of happen, happen, with the scam and other places, whether it's a cafe or a bar or even a, a tea house. My brother, this happened, I think, he spent over 27 years in Africa and this happened, I'm not sure, it might've been in Tanzania, uh, where he was just walking along and all of a sudden this this uh, this young man was, was saying, hey, come come to our tea house, come to our tea house, uh, you know, and uh, we have, you, know, you can try and, uh, many different types of, of tea and basically entice them to come there, you know, you know, why not sit down there and brought out all this different teas, tries a number of teas, they even had, I think, uh, some entertainment there, you know, I, mean, I don't know if there was a belly dancer or whatever. So it's like, oh, nice. And then all of a sudden it's time to go. You get the bill for this outrageous amount of money for this tea and also for this cover charge for this show. And there was like really no recourse. Once again, you, you have to pay what they say, or you're threatened with a, sometimes bodily injury. Uh, so people, people are falling for these type of scams and there's so many different variations of, 
scams when you're a tourist because tourists uh, are very susceptible. First of all, you have the many times the you don't necessarily know the customs in that country. You are kind of like out and about looking around and right away the scammers know you're a tourist and they can be very friendly. They're going to, of course, speak English very well. And so when someone, when a foreigner comes up to you from that country and starts speaking English, you might think, oh, this is nice to be able to talk to somebody in English and they're so friendly and they want to be helpful and they want to try and maybe find out what types of, uh, what are you looking for? You know, I, I know these great places that sell these particular handicrafts or precious, stone, uh, precious stones. This is a big one. And so, and, uh, Big, 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 especially in countries like uh, Thailand, where there's these precious stone scams uh, to include a lot of times when you get off cruise ships, you know, you get off a cruise ship and all of a sudden you see these beautiful stones that are being offered and they tell you that these are genuine stones and it's a great discounted price from what you can get if you were to go uh, to try to buy it from a, you know, from a jeweler. And so people are suckered into that. They're thinking that, wow, this is a great deal. I'm going to take advantage of that. And only later, if they actually do find out, later they find out, wow, that the value of that stone is so much lower than what this guy sold it to me. Because for those of you that know very much about precious stones, there's a lot of different characteristics that make that stone more or less valuable, even if it's the same, same mineral, right? But it's the different quality grades of that stone. And unless you are an expert, there's no way for you to be able to judge that stone. And someone can tell you how much that's worth and how great it is. And unless you go to a real reputable a firm, a jewelry store, that's going to be able that you're going to be able to trust. And when I travel with my wife overseas, we'll tend to go to look in advance. If you want to buy something that may be a precious stones, which that country might be known for, we'll go to one of the, the companies that is really well known in the in the country where you know you're going to get really qu good quality. You're getting a halfway decent price, but it's it's going to be a lot more than some of the stuff you find on the you know on the street corner uh, where the, where a guy opens up his trench coat and he's got all these rings and <laughs> chains hanging from there. Uh, if you're if, if you just want something that looks nice, okay, go ahead. I mean, but realize it's not an investment. You are buying an accessory that you're wearing that you said it's going to look nice. But if you want to buy an investment, whatever it is, make sure that you're getting what you're paying for. Make sure that it is does have value so that later on, if you want to, you know, resell it because there is a market, not a big market like a lot of people think that, oh, I'm going to put all my money into precious stones and other collectibles. Uh, yeah, it's not easy. That gold coin was only minted for a very low mint rate. There are only so many produced, and they're just being reintroduced for a limited time. So I should buy that gold coin that was advertised on TV, though, right? <laughs> oh, you see those advertisements all the time. And unfortunately, sometimes those advertisements are inside of a what you would call a quality publication. You know, maybe you're subscribing to a, a magazine newsletter and you think, well, why would they have an advertisement in there that's, you know, not a good deal or a scam? But unfortunately, not all of those publications are closely monitoring what those companies who are buying publicity are, are offering. And then you just can't go by the, the nature of the tr that magazine being trustworthy and think that anybody that's offering a product there is going to be fully trustworthy. You're going to have to do your own your own sort of checks to make sure that this makes sense. And many times those type of things, you know, there's great deal where you're buying something at a tremendous discount, uh, but you got to do it quick. 
It's got to oh, yeah. be the first, you know, it's got to be the first uh, 150 people that respond to this offer is going to get it. Other than that, you know, so there's always that got to do it quick. It's a great opportunity. Got to do it quicker. You're going to lose that opportunity. Once again, they're putting your, pushing your buttons so that you don't have time to really stop and think and evaluate the opportunity. So this bar scam or the bar bill scam, it has in recent days here been merged with a lonely heart scam. Hmm. What they're doing now, the variant of it that I've been seeing is uh, with an app called Tinder, which is a dating app. You basically, people post pictures of themselves. If you're interested, you swipe one way. If you're not interested, you swipe another. If you swipe the other way, you'll get another profile picture. And you finally see somebody that is actually very pretty, very attractive, male or female, doesn't matter. You see that person, you engage that person. Yes, I want to talk to this person. Now you're chatting back and forth with them. And the person tells you, yeah, I'd love to meet you. This would be great. Tell you what, um, I get a really good deal at this club downtown. Why don't we meet there? And you go, okay, that sounds great. And you, you know what? I'll even talk to the, to the doorman and I'll, I'll get your entry comped because I'm there all the time. And you go, okay, this sounds great. I'm going to do this cool club with this very attractive person. I'm in. So you get there. They're there. They're actually there. There they are. That's the person you saw. They walk you back to look, we got this table back here. You're sitting at this great table. They'll exchange, they'll talk with you for a little bit. They'll, you know, say hello, say, hang on one second, I need to run, I need to go talk to somebody. They're gone for a while. They may come back, they may not. If they come back, they're soon going to leave again. And eventually they're not coming back. And then the wait staff approaches you. You've already ordered them a drink, you a drink, everything else. But you've also been sitting at this table all night. And that table has a price. And now you're presented with this bill for $1,000. And you're like, I had two drinks. You saw the drink list. You knew the drinks were expensive. You figured you'd be paying about maybe, I don't know, $30, $40 total. And now you're sitting at this $1,000 bill. And probably one of the larger people in the club who's the bouncer is now staring at you asking you for your credit card. (laughs) It's the same scam. It's the same scam. And that person, whoever, male or female, the good looking one, is running that scam on three or four tables that entire night. And they're just hopping between table and table where the other people can't see you. And they always have an excuse like, oh, I got my throat, got, I got sick, must be a flu bug going around, whatever, and they're gone. I'm just lucky my wife doesn't let me get on Tinder. I, I didn't happen to get roped into that. But it's going around, and it's not just Tinder, it's anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's that combination, and it's the same scam, just wrapped up a little differently. Now, you lived a a lot of your years overseas where they have foreign currencies. And a lot of times I'm assuming you were probably paid in U.S. dollars while you were there and had the opportunity to to be prompted anyhow to exchange your dollars for a foreign currency. Well, a lot of places you have to exchange it into foreign currency because, I mean, there's a few countries that will accept the U.S. dollar, but most of them will only accept the local currency except for a few cases where you might be able to pay your bill, your hotel bill, and a few other things in dollars, but you have to exchange money to buy products and services on the local economy. And then you get, so you're, if you're just used to US dollar and all of a sudden you get what looks to be like monopoly money, and it's kind of hard for you to understand what the value is of that particular currency, especially when it maybe has a 10, 15, 20 zeros behind the number because you have in some of these places where you have very high inflation, they'll have these bills that constantly get large, large and larger denominations. And then all of a sudden they might reissue that currency taking off 
some of those zeros and you might at the same time have those old bills with a lot of zeros and the new bills that have all the zeros cut off. So it can be kind of uh, confusing for a tourist when they get there. Uh, and I mean, I've been in places where even I got confused and fortunately I would have maybe a vendor that said, you know, no, 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 you paid me too much. Oh, you got lucky. No, there's been a couple <laughs> of times. Uh, but most of the time I'm pretty careful and, and knowledgeable, but I do remember this one time, which is definitely a scam that, uh, I, I was coming out of a, a, a club kind of late at night and I had a few drinks. I still knew more or less what was going on, but I got into this taxi. This actually was in Brazil, in Rio. And, and it was, once again, it was one of these uh, places where the currency had been, you know, changed a number of times. And I gave the taxi cab driver this bill and I knew exactly what I gave him. He did a switch on me and, came, and you know, a real quick switch. And said, "Sir, you know this. You, you, you didn't give me enough. This is you right. Know. You gave me the smaller denomination. Yeah, and I was so sure. Yeah. I, I was. I knew exactly what I gave him, but I was like, I. I just didn't feel like making an argument about it. But I knew he had scammed me, and I'm sure he was doing that to a lot of people uh, every day in, in, in tourists that using this cam." So, I mean, whether it happens in a taxi, whether it happens to, on the street with a different type of merchant, those type of things are, are happening all the time with those currency switches. The currency switch scam I'm familiar with, which happened, uh, I got to witness that a couple of times when I lived in Paraguay, was that the person would be on the street and you would see what the exchange rate was. Hey, the exchange rate, we are this to the dollar. The Guarani is this to the dollar. I'm going to give you a better rate than the exchange rate. And you're like, oh. Okay, why would you do that? Well, I'm telling you, I'm going to give you a better rate for the exchange rate because it's going to fluctuate and I'm just making an investment. And so when we're in a better position, I'm going to sell and yes, I'll make a little money. And so you think, okay, this guy's operating a legitimate long-term investment business. So he's going to buy the dollar at this point and hopefully sell it and change it back when it's a, when it's a stronger bill. Makes sense to me. And then you make that exchange only to find out when you get to a legitimate changing place that the currency exchange rate isn't even close to that, it's completely different. And you just realize that, okay, I should have gotten 50% more for my money. Even if it's 25% more for my money, I, I got ripped off. And the person, usually they say, look, the lines are really long. You guys sign all this paperwork. I just look, we'll just do this real quick. And you're on your way. And you realize you get, you get ripped off of that money. And that happens on a daily basis and probably everywhere around the world. So. If you're going to exchange, uh, my advice there, most hotels will exchange your currencies when you're in uh, foreign countries. Obviously, banks, if you can get to a bank. But if not, you, typically your, your hotel will do that at the front desk, at the, at the uh, concierge desk. A lot of scams today. And we're just in part one of the investment scams. And remember, we still have that bounty out. We should be getting some emails. And I think I've got one or two in right now. But I want to get a couple more before we start reviewing those. Just remember to send your scam in to hello at metascam.com. It's got to be believable. It's got to be something that's going to work. We will evaluate it. We'll pull it apart. And the one that we feel either has a great chance of working or has a best chance out of the ones that we have are working, that person is going to win a $20 Amazon gift card. But remember, folks, you are not alone out there. Do your best to educate yourself against possible scams. Talk to your friends, talk to your neighbors about anything going on. Together, we can make a difference. If there is anything we can do for you, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Our email is hello at metascam.com, and we're here to help. 
Until next time, this has been Andy and Peter for Metascam.com. Want to get in touch? Follow us on Twitter at Metascam Show or email us at hello at Metascam.com. Visit www.metascam.com for show information, archives, and more.